Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome once again to the mansion on the hill, the house of strange, the palace of mystery. This is the home of Terry's mysterious moments. This is season five. We thank you for listening to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Terry's Mysterious Moments. I'd wager, and I believe it would be a safe bet, that many of my listeners aren't exactly into cartoons. At least, not the generation of cartoons coming about in the 90s and the early 2000s. The Cartoon Network brand of cartoons. Scooby-Doo, sure. The Flintstones and the Jetsons, yeah. Johnny Quest, yes, of course. But not Courage the Cowardly Dog. There's an interesting story that the writers of Courage the Cowardly Dog based the dog's owners were based on real people that lived in a neighborhood known as Kern Place in 1957. It was a historic neighborhood in El Paso, Texas, right across the border from New Mexico. The couple were the Pattersons. The husband, William, was described as not the nicest person. The wife, Margaret, was described as warm, friendly, caring, and also petite. Yeah, this sounds eerily familiar to their supposed cartoon counterparts, except that the wife in the cartoon is a little heavier. They were last seen March 5th and 6th, 1957, after a neighbor brought over some Girl Scout cookies to them. The neighbor, Jerry Cash, felt very unwelcomed and left soon after. She described Margaret as incredibly upset and William wasn't happy with Jerry's presence in the house. The Pattersons, who lived in the 3000 block of Piedmont Drive, were last seen between March 5th and 6th, 1957, according to police records. William was 52 and Margaret was 42 at the time of their disappearance. The couple seemed to have disappeared without a trace. All that was left was their cat, Tommy. The couple did not have a dog. The Patterson's disappearance remains one of El Paso's great unsolved mysteries. It is still an open case. Any unsolved case for us is very frustrating, said Sergeant Jim Belknap, supervisor of the El Paso County Sheriff's Crimes Against Persons Unit who has worked on the case on and off for more than 10 years. Over the years, 
People have come up with their own personal theories and ideas of what happened to Mr. and Mrs. Patterson. Those theories create mystery, and everybody loves a mystery. The disappearance of the Pattersons has inspired stories of espionage and even tales of UFO abductions. Accounts of what happened to them have ranged from kidnapping to murder, with some believing they were killed and buried on the home's premises. Legend has it that their spirits haunt the old house on Piedmont. They owned the business, Patterson Photo Supply, and were well known in their community. Former El Paso County Sheriff Leo Samaniego once theorized the Pattersons were spies who dropped everything and left. The leads and theories went nowhere, and new tips occasionally surface. Friends of the couple told police that they went on an extended vacation to Florida and had sent instructions to distribute their assets and property to their friends, family, and employees. If anything, that sounds a bit suspicious, especially since William owned a boat, a Cadillac, and property in Mexico, as well as numerous stocks. Also, there were friends who had dinner with the Pattersons just days before their disappearance, and they made no mention of having plans to travel. The friends, the Wards, owned an automotive business. They actually made plans with those friends for later in the week. What then became strange was that when Cecil Ward opened his business on March 6th, Patterson's Cadillac was in his driveway. When Ward asked Doyle Kirkland, Patterson's competitor and close business friend, why he had possession of the vehicle, he brushed it off. Kirkland said that he helped Patterson with his boat the night before and he was going on a trip. Ward was the one who called the cops. Margaret's fur coat and the couple's other expensive clothes were left at the cleaners. The house was in complete chaos with piles of dishes in the sink and the house was described by police as being devoid of life. Margaret wouldn't tell people when her birthday was. Also, William had a mistress down in Mexico who was also questioned after the couple disappeared. There were a few odd things about the couple that didn't really add up. Apparently, Margaret's parents didn't approve of William as a spouse and forced their daughter to choose them or him. Well, Margaret chose him, meaning she was estranged from her parents. On March 15th, the couple's accountant, Herbert Roth, received a telegram from a W.H. Patterson, which was weird because William's middle name was Duncan. He was instructed to sell a mobile home owned by the Pattersons and act as a business manager for their photo business. He was to use the money from selling the mobile home to support the photo business as well as rent out the Pattersons' house for nine months. After that, Roth was instructed to hand off the business to none other than Doyle Kirkland. The couple was reportedly seen in New Mexico several times, but they were officially declared dead in 1964. Kookier theories in explaining the Patterson's disappearance also include government conspiracies, UFOs, alien abductions, and skinwalkers. The urban legend going around about the true story of courage links the missing couple with sightings of skinwalkers prior to their disappearance. 
but a link between the Pattersons and Skinwalker sightings hasn't been proven and isn't considered a valid theory. Makes for a nice mystery, but not valid. In 1984, the Pattersons' former caretaker, Rinaldo Nangare, confessed to seeing and cleaning up blood in the garage and part of a scalp on the Patterson's boat. He also claimed to have seen an associate of the Patterson's putting a bloody sheet in the trunk of their car. The reason why Ronaldo Nangare hadn't said anything earlier was because he feared deportation as he was undocumented. The caretaker would die in a car accident two years later. We continue to go back over the case from time to time, said Sergeant Jim Belknap. Anytime we get new information from people who call in, we follow up on those leads. At the time, it's a matter of putting together as complete a case as we can, which is sometimes difficult with older cases, he said. Once we got the case together, we broke it down and re-interviewed some people and came up with additional information and leads. Unfortunately, those leads did not pan out, Belknap continued. We continued going over the case and looking at different aspects of it, and that's pretty much where we are now. Detective Irene Anchando of the El Paso County Sheriff's Office was also part of the investigation, assigned to the Patterson case for several years. She said the team followed up on a tip from their neighbor named Cash three years ago. We did look into it, but there wasn't really much, Anchando said. It didn't take us any further into finding something that we didn't already know. It really wasn't anything we could use to develop other leads. Anchando, who is no longer with the Crimes Against Persons Unit, said that was the team's last lead. For me, it's one of those cases where all you want is to be able to get a lead. You're always hoping for something that will open up the case and move forward and actually solve it and bring some closure to family members so it's very frustrating. A case like this stays with you forever. So, here we are. You thought you were going to hear about how Courage the Cowardly Dog is based on a true story, and now you're deep into a story about one of the most mysterious disappearances of the 20th century. While the writers may have seen this story, they were inspired by countless stories and legends that make our society a little more spooky. Do you ever wonder about some of the origins of some cartoon characters? Do you really? Well, I do, occasionally. For instance, how did Casper the Friendly Ghost come into being as a spirit? When Casper was created by Harvey Comics, it was said that he came from ghost parents. Explanation enough, I'd say. But when the movie came out in 1995, the live-action one, it was revealed that the young ghost boy is the spiritual remnant of Casper McFadden, a young boy who passed away from pneumonia. His mother perished in childbirth, and he became ill after begging his father to let him go sledding one day. His father reluctantly agreed, resulting in the boy contracting the illness that ended him. How sad. I sometimes find... Disney cartoon characters and situations to be rather violent or less than kid-friendly. Case in point, Huey, Dewey, and Louie are the adorable nephews of Donald Duck, but their parents are nowhere to be seen. They're absent in the original DuckTales and all other cartoons 
featuring the rascally trio, leading many to wonder what happened to him. According to the comics, the triplets are the sons of Donald's twin sister, Dumbella Duck. Though their father's identity remains a mystery, his ultimate fate may not. After a practical joke involving firecrackers, the boy's father was admitted to the hospital and tragically never returned. The boy's mother never forgave her children for their actions, which may have been why she sent them to live with her brother. I hate it when a beloved cartoon character has to grow up with tragedy. Babar, like Bambi, lost his mother to a hunter, prompting Babar to flee into the jungle. Eventually, he made his way into a city and met the old lady, a nice woman who outfitted him in human clothing and hired a tutor to teach him the ways of civilized life. Sometime later, his cousins Celeste and Arthur located him and helped return him to the elephant realm, which had recently suffered the loss of its king after he ate a toxic mushroom. More tragedy? When Babar returned, the Council of Elephants approached him about taking the job as king. He was chosen because he had lived among men and learned the ways of the world, which they believed made him an ideal candidate. From that point forward, Babar was king. One of those non-child-oriented cartoons is the Fairly Odd Parents, a ten-year-old boy who has two very strange parents which it turns out to be fairy godparents. Why does he have fairy godparents? Because his real parents are too neglectful. Wow, how sad is that? Well, at least there's a benevolent higher power looking out for him, thus the godparents, but it's still sad. Stepping into the superhero realm, think about the sadness which brought forth both Superman and Batman, and Robin for that matter. Superman's homeworld was destroyed when its son went Nova, and baby Kal-El is sent away into space, eventually landing on Earth, and as he ages, he discovers superpowers. Young Bruce Wayne is out on the town with his parents when they're held up. His father attempts to repel the criminal and is killed, as is his mother. The youngest in a family of acrobats, known as the Flying Graysons, Dick Grayson witnesses a mafia boss named Tony Zuko kill his parents in order to extort money from the circus that employed them. The adult Bruce Wayne then steps up and takes him in as a ward. As the two grow close and grow up, they train as crime fighters, becoming Batman and Robin. Now I realize these stories may not be considered as mysterious. But you know, there's mystery in every walk of life, every facet of life. But it does give you something to think about. You know, I said think about, not dwell on. Well, back into real world mysteries or otherworldly mysteries, however you want to say it. In January of 1959, a group of nine hikers, seven men and two women, trudged through Russia's snowy Ural Mountains toward a peak locally known as Dead Mountain. The hikers pitched their tents at the base of a small slope as an intensifying blizzard chilled the night air to minus 19 degrees. They never made it to their next waypoint. 
It took nearly a month for investigators to find all nine bodies scattered amid the snow, trees, and ravines of Dead Mountain. Some of the hikers died half-dressed in just their socks and long underwear. Some had broken bones and cracked skulls. Some were missing their eyes, and one young woman had lost her tongue, possibly to hungry wildlife. Their tent, half buried in the snow and apparently slashed open from the inside, still held some of the hikers' neatly folded clothes and half-eaten provisions. All nine hikers died of hypothermia after being cast into the cold under the influence of a compelling natural force. That's what a Russian investigation concluded at the time. But the specifics of the compelling force behind the now infamous Dyatlov Pass incident, named for one of the hikers, Igor Dyatlov, have long remained a mystery and given rise to one of the most enduring conspiracy theories in modern Russian history. Everything from aliens to abominable snowmen have been implicated in the mystery since it rose to cultural prominence in the 1990s, following a retired official's account of the investigation. But now, a study published January 28th in the Nature Journal, Communications Earth and Environment, provides the first scientific evidence behind a much more banal hypothesis, a small avalanche triggered under unusual circumstances, pummeled the hikers as they slept, then forced them to flee their tent into the cold, dark night. We do not claim to have solved the Dyatlov Pass mystery, as no one survived to tell the story, lead study author Johan Gaum, head of the Snow and Avalanche Simulation Laboratory at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Lausanne but we show the plausibility of the avalanche hypothesis for the first time. Now, the avalanche hypothesis is not new. Two federal Russian investigations, completed in 2019 and 2020, also concluded that the hikers were most likely driven from their tents by a slab avalanche. That is, an avalanche that occurs when a slab of snow near the surface breaks away from a deeper layer of snow and it slides downhill in blocky chunks. Picture, if you will, scenes of people knocking snow off of roofs. They have to get up near the, the ridge pole of the house and break loose the snow, and it slides off all at one time. This hypothesis, however, hasn't been widely accepted by the public, the new study noted, because neither investigation offered a scientific explanation for some of the incidents, stranger details. The slab avalanche theory was criticized due to four main counter-arguments, Gohm said. First and foremost, there was no sign of an avalanche when researchers arrived at the campsite 26 days after the hikers went missing. Second, the slope where the hikers built their camp had an incline of less than 30 degrees which is typically considered the minimum angle for an avalanche to occur, Gohm said. Third, there's evidence that the hikers fled their tents in the middle of the night, meaning the avalanche was triggered hours after the highest risk event when the hikers built their camp, a process that involved cutting into the face of the slope to create a flat surface below for their tent and a sheer wall of snow next to it. 
This was a common practice at the time, the study authors wrote. Finally, some of the hikers had sustained head and chest injuries that avalanches don't usually cause. In their paper, Goleman study co-author Alexander Puserin, a researcher at the Institute for Geotechnical Engineering in Zurich, Switzerland, set out to address each of these critiques. They studied records from the time of the Dyatlov incident to recreate the environmental conditions that the hikers most likely faced on the night of their deaths and then used a digital avalanche model to test whether a slab avalanche could have plausibly occurred under those conditions. The team's analysis showed that the avalanche hypothesis stands up to every counter-argument. In their study, the researchers learned that the angle of the slope near the hiker's campsite was actually steeper than previous reports indicated. The slope angle measured 28 degrees compared with the area's average slope angle of 23 degrees. Subsequent snowfalls in the weeks after the incident could have smoothed this angle, making the slope appear smaller, while also covering signs of an avalanche. That detail took care of counter-argument number one. As for the second, while 30 degrees is considered the standard slope angle at which slab avalanches can occur, this is not a hard and fast rule. In fact, there's evidence of avalanches occurring on slopes with angles as little as 15 degrees. A key factor is the friction value between the upper slab layer, the one that falls, and the base layer, the one that stays in place. The base of the snowpack at the Dyatlov campsite was composed of depth hoar, or sugar snow, a type of grainy, crystallized ice that often increases the risk of avalanches. This grainy base layer could have easily helped facilitate a slab avalanche even at a 28 degree incline. As for the delay between the hikers cutting into the slope and the avalanche tumbling into their tents, this could be explained by strong winds that gradually blew more and more snow onto the top of the slope near the team's campsite. Conditions on the mountain were extremely windy and snow may have accumulated above the tent as many as nine and a half to thirteen and a half hours before the upper slab finally gave way. This leads to the final counter-argument, the injuries. Some hikers were found with cracked ribs and skulls, injuries more in line with a car accident than an avalanche. The supposed slab avalanche at Dyatlov Pass was far from typical. Rather than standing in the direct path of the avalanche, the hikers would have been lying flat on their backs as they slept, with the snow rushing down on top of them over the small ledge they cut into the slope. Dynamic avalanche simulations suggest that even a relatively small slab of snow could have led to severe but non-lethal thorax and skull injuries, as reported by the postmortem examination. The team's model showed that under specific environmental conditions, a slab avalanche could have plausibly toppled onto the Dyatlov group as they slept, long after they cut into the slope to build their camp. The crushing snow all but flattened the tent, cracking bones and forcing the hikers to hastily cut their way out of their snowy sarcophagus, dragging their wounded comrades behind them as they attempted to survive the night in the open air. Sadly, none did. 
While this paper doesn't explain every facet of the Dyatlov mystery, it does provide the first scientific proof that at least one popular hypothesis, the avalanche hypothesis, is plausible. That explanation may be far less exciting than aliens or yetis, but for Gome, the banality of the avalanche hypothesis reinforces something more important, the human aspect of the catastrophe. When the hikers decided to go to the forest, they took care of their injured friends. No one was left behind. I think it is a great story of courage and friendship in the face of a brutal force of nature. Well, finally, an explanation after 60 years. Is it the right explanation? I don't know. Could be. Sounds plausible. Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for being along for the ride. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast. Aaron reads listener stories, mostly ghost stories, sometimes UFOs, sometimes cryptids. On Tuesday, Aaron Frail brings you Aaron's Horror Show, different things that he's written. He reviews movies, books, things like that. On Wednesday, it's me, Terry from Texas, with Terry's Mysterious Moments, where we talk about just about anything there is to talk about. And at the first weekend of the month, we have video from The Witching Hour and Unexplained Cases. Aaron has instituted a new area called Entertaining Short Films. That's exactly what they are. They're just short stories, nothing in particular, no particular genre, just entertaining. Remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have Apple or Android, download the RPA app, which is a black square with a blue eye in the middle of it. Download that to the device that you listen to the program on. Install it, and when you open that up, you can go straight to the Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, and its network. So all the all the stories that are involved with RPA are there, so you don't have to go hunting for them. If you want to contact me at Terry's Mysterious Moments, you can do that on the Facebook page, and it's called Terry's Mysterious Moments, or you can email me at Terry's Mysterious Moments at gmail.com. Contact me if you want to. Let's talk about some things. That's about it. We'll be back again. Listen to the other shows. Have a good week, everybody.